Uh, before the message, I wanted to share uh, just a little bit about, um, we wanted to take time to pray uh, because of some of the events uh, in our world, in, in our country, that today we're mourning two mass shootings in our country over the last 24 hours. Uh, one in El Paso yesterday that killed 20 people, another in Dayton, Ohio late last night that killed nine and injured many others. And so we want to take time before the message this morning to just pray for victims, pray for their families. We want to pray for the perpetrators uh, whose lives have been captured by such evil. And I want to remind us that as the people of God, uh, we must bear witness to another way. Uh, that we follow the Prince of Peace and are called to be peacemakers. And so we must, uh, we must kind of lean into those realities and explore all that that might mean for us to be peacemakers in the world. Uh, but we also must pray that we as the people of God and the nation in which we live will be freed from the evils of racism, uh, which is what motivated the El Paso shooting, and also from the worship uh, and idolatry of violence and guns and weapons. Um, because what is at play here is not just kind of personal evil, uh, but systemic evils of idolatry and racism. That when racism is normalized by those in power, it legitimizes these violent acts. And, so when we, and also when we place our trust in guns for our safety and security, we have lost our way and made an idol out of weapons and violence. The psalmist, since we're in this kind of Psalms mini-series, the psalmist uh, declares in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord and God. And, uh, and so we want to pray this morning that uh, not just for victims uh, and perpetrators, but also that we would be freed from things like racism, uh, that we would be freed from things like idolatry, um, and that we would be able to find another way as the people of God. And there's not easy answers, um, and certainly the answers don't lie in any one particular uh, kind of bill that needs to be passed or, or, or political perspective. Uh, but it is the role, the responsibility uh, as the people of God to lean into another way uh, of how we operate in the world and, and to declare and bear witness to the fact that this, this doesn't need to keep happening, uh, that there is an alternative witness that we can offer. And so we pray into those realities today. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray before we um, explore Psalm chapter 8 today. Uh, Heavenly Father, today... Um, our hearts are, are mixed. Uh, we have the joy of gathering together and uh, sharing laughter and stories um, and just the joy of being with one another. And, and yet, God, we recognize that uh, today our country mourns uh, the reality of such violence in our land. And so, God, today we pray for your comfort to be very real uh, for the families of victims in whose lives have forever been changed in the last 24 hours. And God, we pray for your healing presence for those who are injured and, and now facing bodily harm that they must heal from or maybe have lifelong kind of consequences because of these acts of violence. So God, we, we pray for your comfort. We pray for your healing presence. And God, following the witness of Jesus, who calls us and invites us to pray for those that we would even call enemies, we pray, God, for grace for the perpetrators who have lost their way. And ask God that 
anyone that might be considering such acts would have an encounter with your love and your grace. We also pray, God, for courage for our nation to admit our addiction to the way of violence so that we might find another way. And I pray, God, that the church, the people of God, those who worship the Prince of Peace uh, would lead the way. Uh, May we be the first to bear witness to what it might look like uh, to live in ways uh, that are not violent or filled with hate. And so God help us uh, to be able to work out what that means. And God, we're thankful today for, for those who risk their own life to enter into the, the scene of danger for law enforcement, for others um, who, once these acts begin, must rush in, put themselves in harm's way in order to end this immediate situation. And so God, we thank you for the men and women who dedicate their lives to service Um, And we pray, God, that each day you would give them strength and embolden them with courage. And God, recognizing that it isn't just kind of personal, individual evil at work here, but the symptoms of corporate systemic evil, we pray that you would free us, O God, from racism and help us to learn to love our neighbor. And help us, God, to learn to pray for those that we would call enemies. Well, the invitation of the gospel is a radical one. It's, it's an invitation to enter into relationship with those that we might consider enemies until we might be able to call them brother and sister. And so, God, help us to lean into that invitation, as difficult as it may be. So, Lord, help us in all of these things, and we pray for your peace and your guidance and your comfort today, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we are uh, in a psalm uh, mini-series that we're doing this summer. We kind of began a couple weeks ago in Psalm chapter 7, and uh, we'll do chapter 8 today, chapter 9 to uh, next week. And uh, we should have a lot of fun. We're, we're, we're paying attention to the Psalms because uh, they represent for us a whole range of human emotion as we interact with God. And, and so the Psalms and the poetry of the Psalms helps us uh, to kind of learn to a language of faith of how we navigate our relationship with God in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of, of great joy, uh, in, in the midst of feeling like, God, where are you and have you abandoned us? Uh, we have the, this, this, po- this collection of poetry that helps us to kind of learn how to engage and interact with God along the whole range of human emotion. Uh, and so every, every summer, we usually uh, spend a couple of weeks or so uh, just leaning into these, these poems, and uh, we're privileged to be able to do that. Uh, today is Psalm chapter 8. It's a rather short psalm. Uh, I want to read it in its entirety for us and then kind of explore uh, what it might mean for us today. Uh, so Psalm chapter 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. For you have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, when I consider the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
What is man that you are mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him? For you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him ruler over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, every person at some point in their life must wrestle with the big questions. Uh, Questions like, what does it mean to be human? Or what is God like? That's an important question, isn't it? What is God really like? Uh, We might even wrestle with the question, does God exist, right? Uh, That inherent to the human condition is is a, a wrestling with the big questions of life. They're big questions, they're difficult questions. And and usually they're so big and so difficult to really wrestle with, we tend to just try to avoid them. As long as we stay busy with entertainment and distractions, uh, we can kind of avoid the big questions of life. But here's the reality. Uh, Regardless of all of our efforts to try to avoid these big questions, they sneak up on us, don't they? Uh, Sometimes it might be uh, an event, it might be a particular season of of suffering or struggle. Uh, It it could come up through any variety of ways, but these questions, these big questions sneak up on us and we must deal with them. We we must have some way to kind of wrestle with these questions. But the truth is, is even though they sneak up on us and we don't even know often how to kind of wrestle with them, and so we need help. And, and that is where the arts enter, right? Uh, things like poetry, music, painting, film, theater, writing, the arts, the arts help us wrestle with the big questions of life. Uh, this, is, this is why you uh, cry in the theater, right? This is why when, uh, when you're watching Lion King and Mufasa dies, you cry your eyes out, okay? We went and saw Lion King yesterday, and at the end of the movie, it's like, hey, what'd you think? Did you cry? Uh, yes, if I had let myself, right? It's just one of those, like, movies, film, poetry, these things move us because they draw us into something that's, that is larger than ourselves. It, they draw us into kind of these big questions of life. But they, but they, don't, but they, but they don't provide answers, right? The, the point of the arts is not to answer questions. The point of the arts is to expand our imaginations, inspire our hearts, or point us in a direction. Uh, And so while on the surface, Psalm 8 is a rather simple psalm of praise to God, it is, after a closer look, a psalm that actually tackles questions, big questions. Questions about what it means to be human in relationship to God, in relationship to creation, in relationship with others. And I think these are important questions that this, this poem helps us kind of wrestle with. And so let's explore the psalm together. Now, as you probably noticed, that the psalm is bookended by the same statement of praise to the Creator God, right? And the statement is, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, if you grew up in the same era that I did, you cannot say this verse without also saying, 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? Right? Like you guys know it, yeah? It's just like you cannot do that. You just can't say this verse. You have to sing it, right? Uh, As Bob Ross says, it doesn't work if you don't make that little noise. It doesn't work if you don't sing this verse, right? Uh, And so in this book ends the psalm, right? This is the the, the beginning and the end. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, And it's really... Uh, a proclamation of the sovereignty of God over all of creation. And it's a recognition. David, the psalmist, is, is making a recognition that creation itself bears witness to the majesty of God. And all the folks who live near the mountains said, amen, right? <laughs> majesty is another word for greatness or excellence. And so David, the poet, looks in, with wonder out at all of creation and thinks about the greatness of the creator. Now, uh, my family and I, as I mentioned at the beginning, just returned from vacation and we did something a little different for vacation this year. Uh, almost always, like our MO is live near the mountains, play in the mountains, chase waterfalls and do mountainy kinds of things, right? So on vacation, what we usually do is find a different set of mountains, go hiking, do mountainy kinds of things, and chase waterfalls, right? This is typically our vacation. It's just an extension of our regular life, okay? Uh, but this year, we decided to do a little bit diff- something a little bit different. Now, before I tell you what we did, though, I should say that part of the reason that we do mountainy kinds of things is because there's something divine about climbing an immovable mountain and seeing the world from the summit, right? I mean, there's just something awe-inspiring about mountain activities. But we thought we'd try something different. So we went to the sea, and we snorkeled among the ocean reefs, and we went in rivers that wound their way through caves. And there, we experienced a whole world of beauty and wonder. Uh, to see the otherworldly formations in the caves or to swim with sea turtles, not on a tour, not in this controlled environment, but just in the wild of the ocean. Uh, these are experiences that, that led us to a touch of the divine, right? Uh, that what we found, here's what we found, is that from the soaring summits to the unique beauty of the ocean floor, all of creation bears witness to the greatness of God, the creator. Amen? It's just like, I'm not a great swimmer, and so I was like not totally hyped about snorkeling. I was like, basically, this is how I feel. Before this trip, I was like, the ocean is just a big place to die, okay? Like, that is how I feel about the ocean. It's just like there are super mysterious things in there and your little dangling feet are just bait, right? I mean, this is how I felt. And so I'm, I wasn't real big on snorkeling, but once you put on the mask and, and, a, and a life jacket, uh, <laughs> and you see what I'm saying? And then, and then you like float along the top and look down, I found this is a tremendously beautiful place and just filled with all kinds of, of just bursting with color and life. And, and I'll tell you, it's different than watching it on planet Earth. Uh, when you see it in real life, it's different than watching on planet Earth. Um, and, and so this, this psalm just like really resonated with me. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the Earth. 
oceans included. <laughs> uh, so here's my hope for you, is that, that whether, whether your summer activities take you as close as the foothills just outside of town or across the globe, my hope and my prayer is that you will experience the presence of God in creation. Amen? Some of you are like, that was the shortest sermon he's ever preached. But fear not, I'm not done. Uh, now, that was verse 1. Verse 2, uh, verse 2 is like an interesting riff on verse 1. Uh, and and here's, here's the bottom line of verse 2. Let's look at verse 2 uh, again. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Uh, now, this is the NIV. The other translations render it actually quite differently uh, because verse 2 is an odd verse, uh, and, and the bottom line is biblical scholars have no idea what to do with it. Okay? That's the bottom line. Verse 2 is just like this weird thing about infants and babies and, and in, something about enemies and, and preventing strongholds and like all these kinds of things. And, and biblical scholars actually have no idea what to do with it. But they do have, um, they do have some, some uh, curiosities about it. And, and one, of the things, uh, one of the things that I came across was this, kind of in connection to verse 1 is one idea is that the verse is meant to be hyperbole. Now, hyperbole is like exaggerated claim. It's an exaggeration. It's meant to be hyperbole that points us to the reality that even the coups of a baby bring praise to the God who is sovereign over all of creation. Um, and I like that a lot. We've got, we've got some babies that are, have been recently born in our congregation, right? And uh, we all love to come on Sunday mornings and love on them. And... But, but, but moms, parents, I bet you would agree that even the coups of those babies are, are like a song of praise to the God who is sovereign over all of creation. Um, I kind of like that for verse 2. But, but then the big bulk of the poem, with beginning in verse 3, is really spent uh, not on the, the majesty of God, uh, but on us, humanity. Um, that this psalm, the, the big bulk of the subject of the psalm is actually us. And, and so the psalmist David begins, I think, where a lot of us begin. He says, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Which is a way of saying, after talking about the, the majesty of God, and sort of the excellence of God, the greatness of God, David looks at himself and says, who am I that you are mindful of me at all? After you have set the planets in motion and the moon and the stars in place, who, I'm just little old me, right? And I'll bet that that's where a lot of us kind of think. That maybe God is so distant, he's out there, he doesn't care about my life, he doesn't care about what's going on with me, it's just my, oh, the little details, the little minutia of my life, God is too busy running the universe to care. <laughs> which, what, which is why verse 5, which is the central claim about humanity, is, becomes so surprising. Verse 5 says, you have made them, that is humanity, a little lower than the heavenly beings a little lower than God, and you have crowned them with glory and honor. It's so interesting, isn't it, that, that the psalmist, on one sense, is wrestling with, how could God possibly care about little old me? But then he lands on the claim that humanity is crowned with glory and with honor. I want to allow that to sink in just a little bit that you are crowned by God with glory 
and with honor. It's a good word for me. <laughs> if you're anything like me, you might tend to be a little too far on the verse four side of who am I that God would be mindful of me? Or my personality type, which is often kind of like, if I'm in a group of people and I don't have any official position of authority, as an Enneagram nine, I'm like, I don't have anything to say to these people that is important enough, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, some of you are with me. It's like, unless I'm wearing a microphone, no one cares, <laughs> right? I mean, this is what this, so, so I often think, like, I often find myself in the position of who am I that anyone would be mindful of me? Which is so helpful then when we recognize that the, the reality and the truth and the beauty of verse 5, which is each and every person has been crowned with glory and with honor. We usually make two errors about how we think about ourselves that I think this poem can help us with. One error is we tend to think so poorly of ourselves because of our brokenness, right? And, and oftentimes we even begin the Christian narrative with, well, you're a terrible person. Uh, and, and so, but, but the reality is what Genesis 1 bears witness to, what the psalmist bears witness to, is that we are crowned with glory and honor, which means an authentically Christian gospel will not lead us to self-hatred. Did you hear that? An authentically Christian gospel will not lead us to self-hatred. It will lead us to the recognition that we are crowned with glory and honor. And we got some stuff to deal with for which we need a savior, right? But, but we have to recognize the reality that we are of infinite value and of infinite worth. So the first error is we tend to think too poorly of ourselves based on our brokenness. Now, in response to that, sometimes we make the opposite error, which is to turn ourselves into gods, right? And we think too highly of ourselves. We worship the self, and we make the self above everything else. And what this psalm is helping us do is, is, is it's placing this, the structure of the psalm is helping to communicate this beautiful truth, right? So let's go back to the bookends. Uh, it's bookended with the majesty of God in all of creation, and yet central is this whole bit about us, and the central claim about us is that we are crowned with glory and honor. In other words, surrounding the claim that humans are crowned with glory and honor is praise for the creator God who holds majesty in all of the earth. Here's what I'm trying to say. Our glory is a derived glory. You with me? That our glory is a derived glory. Which is to say, it's showing us that the prop, it's showing us a proper relationship to God and ourselves, that we are to see ourselves as ones crowned with glory and honor by the Creator who is majestic in all of the earth. And this helps us. This helps us if we suffer from self-hatred, but it also helps us in how we see others. Um, I don't want to live here or make this the whole point, but if you heard anything about the El Paso uh, event and the shooting, it was someone who drove nine hours to El Paso uh, in order to carry out this act. And it was, it was obvious that it was, uh, it was motivated by racism, okay? So think about this. He, this person drives nine hours to the southern border in order to carry out this act. 
Can I, can I just say that, that racism is a failure to learn the first lesson of Sunday school? And what's the first lesson of Sunday school? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Racism is a failure. It's an affront to the very first thing we learn about the gospel. And what this poem does is it helps us to see how we ourselves are in relationship with God and how we are in relationship with other people and how we, this, we are crowned with a glory that is derived from the Creator. And here's what I want to say to us, that when we learn to see humanity and other humans as beautiful, it gives us a hint to the glory of the one in whose image we have been made. Are you with me? When we learn to see humanity and other humans as beautiful, then it gives us a hint and points us to the glory of the one in whose image we are made. But let me tell you, I haven't always been there. Something shifted in me a few years ago. I used to think that as a Christian, it was my role and responsibility to be suspicious of anything or anyone who did not bear the label Christian. And what that kind of posture toward the world meant is, is that if anything or anyone that didn't bear the label Christian was suspicious, then that also played itself out in a broader context that anyone that kind of isn't like me is also of suspicion. You with me? That, that, that's that kind of on the ground, it was about this specific thing, but that specific thing had a whole bunch of ways that it played out in a broader context and in a bigger context. And, and so I, I used to think that I had to evaluate uh, kind of everything and everyone through a lens of what was, quote, approved, right? Uh, and approved is by my metric or someone else's metric that I was listening to or whatever. Uh, but in so doing, what happened was is I missed the beauty of humanity. And so now I've learned to see that I can see something or hear something that while I may not share the same convictions, I can see the humanity of the person making the art or doing the thing. Which is you can have a grievous evil like an act of violence carried out in the name of racism, and then still see the humanity of the perpetrator and pray for God's grace for them. You with me? You see, what, you see what's happening? And so, again, I want to I just let us lean into this reality that when we learn to see humanity and other humans as beautiful, it points us to the glory of the one in whose image we are made. Now, this is not a wholesale approval of all things, right? There are things that are evil. There are things that are sinful. But it helps us, I think, to, to lean into the message of Jesus and the call of Jesus. And so I'm working hard, and I invite you to work hard to begin to see the beauty that is all around us, even despite the ugliness. Now, when we are the center of 
creation. We, the, the psalm says we are the center of creation, and that we're called to be God's partners in the governance of creation. Uh, now, there aren't any verses in the Bible that explicitly say you should recycle, but this psalm comes close, right? This psalm comes pretty close to talking to us explicitly that we are partners with God to care for this place. And so in Genesis and also in this psalm, the world needs co-rulers with God. And as his image bearers, we are tasked with that role. But the, the problem is, is we can even understand that. We can understand, okay, we're co-rulers with God and, 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 and we can begin to explore all that that means and all this stuff, but we're given a really big hint to, about what that might mean uh, in Hebrews. Because the author of Hebrews, we don't, know, uh, we don't know their name, we just know that Hebrews is structured like a sermon, so we call the author of Hebrews a preacher. So I like Hebrews, it's a sermon, by a preacher, uh, it's pretty good. So, so Hebrews, what he does is he, he, does, he actually applies Psalm 8 to Christ specifically. So in, in Hebrews chapter two, verse six through eight, he, he actually quotes this part that you have crowned him with glory and honor, made him a little lower than the angels, like all that the psalmist is saying about humanity in general, the New Testament author in Hebrews applies to the Christ specifically. And what he's doing there, and the reason he's doing that, is he, he's taking this royal vision of humanity and, and using it to talk to us about the true identity of Jesus, who is the true king, and who shows us what perfect and true humanity actually looks like. Have you recognized that? That Jesus shows us what humanity looks like. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm just human, which means I'm a terrible person, right? Uh, and we, we talk about humanity as kind of this diminutive term, but actually Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human and shows us how to operate in the world as one who is fully in touch and, and embodying the humanity that God has planned for us. And so the author of Hebrews does exactly that. This royal vision of humanity that the psalmist gives us in general, Hebrews gives us and applies to Christ specifically. You with me? So, we are crowned with glory and honor, made in the image of God, given the vocation as co-rulers with God, and then left to say, what does that mean? Until the New Testament author applies that same vocation to Jesus, and then Jesus is the one who, who perfectly embodies that vocation as the true human, thereby showing us what it is to look like. You with me? I'm not sure I connected all the dots as well as I wanted to there, but that's what I've got. That's the best I've got. Okay, so, so we must ask ourselves then, how does Jesus live out his true humanity? Um, how does Jesus put God-honoring humanity on display? Well, number one is he serves, well, he rules as a servant king. He rules as a servant king. Uh, he, he shows us that the true kingship uh, is compassion. And actually, what I didn't notice in The Lion King when I watched the cartoon, and that I did notice yesterday, is that that movie has a lot to say about what it means to be a true king. That when you listen to Mufasa teaching Simba, who, who will one day rule uh, over the Pride Lands, you, you, you get a lot of kind of gospel-centered 
messaging about what it means to be a king. Okay? So I encourage you to watch it with, through that lens. So Jesus shows us that he rules as a servant king. He serves others as neighbors. He lives in right relationship with himself, right? And then he lives in right relationship with creation. And so what Jesus does is he shows us that true kingship is servant kingship. And so my encouragement to us today is as servant kings, we are to bear witness to God's sovereignty and our own humanity by living in right relationship with one another, with God, and with creation. And, and that's a huge blanket, right? And then that can be applied in a thousand ways uh, to which I'm going to leave to you and the Spirit of God to kind of work out. I'm not gonna give you five steps to this or three ways to that, but, but rather remind us today that our role and our vocation is to live out our true humanity modeled after Jesus, who lived in right relationship with God, right relationship with others, and right relationship with creation itself. And let me end with this. In a world with so much division and hate speech, there are certain figures who have become really, really popular. Figures like Fred Rogers and Bob Ross. And Bob Ross is gonna work his way into almost every sermon, okay? <laughs> and I say that with, I mean, I'm being a little bit funny, but, but I also am making a point. Figures like Fred Rogers and Bob Ross are now more popular than they were when they were living. For example, Fred Rogers had a documentary movie made about his life shortly after his death. And then this week, a new uh, movie preview was released for a wide release movie about the life of Fred Rogers and will be played where he'll be played by Tom Hanks. So a wide release movie about his life in addition to a documentary of real footage about the life and let's just call it what it is, the ministry of Mr. Rogers. Okay? It, it appears that culture is hungry to explore in more depth the, the life of what this man stood for. Um, and if you didn't know, Mr. Rogers was an ordained minister. And then Bob Ross. Bob Ross has a YouTube channel. Okay? How phenomenal is that? Bob Ross has a YouTube channel, has almost 3 million subscribers, and some of his videos, 25-minute videos of, of a landscape painting, have almost 20 million views. Portions of his TV catalog uh, are available on Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. And so we, I, I've been asking the question, why? Why are figures like Fred Rogers and Bob Ross more popular now than they were when they were living? And the only thing I can come to is, is in a culture that has so much political division, has so much hate speech, the world is hungry for the witness of people like, the, people like these because they embody for us a gentle way with creation and with one another.
And I think the world needs gentle witnesses because it points us to the servant kingship of the true human who is Christ. Because if you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he'll go to to kids and he'll say things like, it's you I like. It's not what you're wearing or what you do. It isn't your hobbies. It's you that I like. Or you'll listen to this guy with a huge afro who is so soft-spoken. Say, talk about his love for squirrels <laughs> and raccoons. And we're mesmerized by it. And why are we mesmerized by it? Because it's not very often that you come across such gentleness and such care for, in love for creation. Do you know that Bob Ross never once painted a human being in any of his paintings? It was all landscapes and his love for creation. The other thing, I, I was researching Bob Ross for this message. And the message is centered on Christ. It feels here at the end that it's centered on Bob Ross, but. <laughs> but I learned this. I learned that Bob Ross was in the military for many years, and his role in the military was a, was a sergeant, a drill sergeant. It's the guy that yells, get out of your bed, it's time to go, 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 go. Right? Can you imagine this? This is a true story. This is a true story. Bob Ross was a drill sergeant in the military who, whose job was to yell uh, at, to get people in line. And coming out of the military, he decided, I'm never going to yell again. And that's when he took on that gentle persona. And so here's what I'm saying. The gentle witness of people like these men and, and, and others point us to the beauty and the glory of the true humanity in Christ. And they help us at least to give clues as to what it might be like to be in proper relationship with ourselves, with one another, and with creation. Which is precisely what the poet in Psalm chapter eight is pointing us to. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And all of humanity is crowned with honor and glory. And yet it's a derived glory because Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. My prayer for the church and the people of God is that we would find a way to bear witness to Christ, the humanity, the divinity of Christ in our midst. Well, let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word from Psalm 8. We lament, God, the hatred that we see carried out in so many ways and that we hear about. We pray, God, that that we as your people would find a, a way 
a gentle way to be in the world and to bear witness to your glory. God, may our imaginations be captured by another way. May we, as we gather around the Lord's table today, may you meet us here and speak to us and show us what it might look like to live as your people in this time and in this place. And Lord, thank you for the witness of your word, these, these poems that don't give us any answers, but rather inspire our imaginations and, and, and inspire our hearts. And so God, may we all today be inspired by your word. And may our imaginations be expanded so that we might more perfectly live according to your will and to your ways. We give you thanks and praise, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.